This is Escape from the Burnout Society, a podcast dedicated to prevent and overcome chronic stress and burnout. It is also a dialogue with many experts around the world in the fields of health, mindset and lifestyle. I hope you enjoy it. Check for more information on our website www.escapeburnoutsociety.com Welcome to Escape from the Burnout Society podcast. Before I introduce my guest today, I will have to explain briefly why I asked him to share with us his incredible life story. As we are recording, the world is bombarded by the media with news that are very disturbing. It is almost impossible not to be affected by them, and as a result, our levels of anxiety have raised enormously. Moreover, our society has been divided. There is much polarity, distrust, and lack of understanding for each other. So last year, I decided to avoid the news as much as possible, and I started to look for messages that would make me understand better what we are going through and diminish my levels of anxiety. That is how I found this episode's guest. He sends every week a message to the world, and these messages are sometimes very simple and sometimes complex, but they are always profound and make you reflect upon the very nature of life. He calls them the transcripts, and these have helped me to draw my attention back to the search of truth. In this episode, we will talk about the transcripts. My guest's name is Francisco Valentin. Since 2011, he has been compelled to share his experiences to attest to the validity of life after death, divine intervention, and communication with those from the other side. His life-changing experience began in 1979, when at age of 18, he was involved in a deadly car accident that took his life. As he will explain later, he experienced his first NDE, or near-death experience, during this event and came back to life with a mission that was not revealed to him until 32 years later. Today, Francisco will be sharing his story with us. Welcome, Francisco. Thank you. Thank you for having me and uh, being able to speak to your audience. Well, Francisco, let's get into it because this is going to be uh, an interview that we might have to split into uh, episodes. This is a beautiful story, but it has all kinds of ins and outs and very interesting uh, information we have to share. Uh, so I'm going to ask you first, yeah, to start by the very beginning of this all. Uh, let's talk about your accident when you suffer when you what you suffered when you were 18 years old. What happened? Yes, uh, it all started one summer day, 1979, when I just barely turned 18. And due to that terrible car accident, I died. Uh, what took place was that uh, we were young. Uh, we just graduated. And uh, we decided to, to take a, a, a day out trip to El Yunque National Forest in Puerto Rico. That's where I come from. So, And that's where you can hear my Spanish accent. Which, by the way, because English is not my primary language, if I messed up in some words, just bear with me. Uh, 
but yes, indeed, uh, after, after we climbed up to the mountain, we were heading back home. And I have to admit, we were young and foolish. Uh, we were speeding. Uh, I was uh, chasing the other car. I was with my best buddy. I was in the driver's seat and we were uh, chasing them, just having fun, you know, uh, silly fun, which ended up in a tragic car accident. When I passed them, I, uh, I lost uh, traction and I went uh, uh, sideways towards them. I caught in front of them. I jumped the medium. And when I say that I jumped the medium is that I fell in the opposite lane uh, directly with a head-on collision with another car. But uh, my friend steered away the car because I froze. And we sidewiped with the other car. That, that, that sidewipe made me spin. And when I finished uh, spinning, then another car hit me in what we call a T-bone uh, crash at over 50 miles an hour. Uh, to give you an idea of the magnitude of the impact, the driver's door ended up by the center console. That means that my seat disappeared in the, on all the crash metal and I landed in my friend's lap. Uh, he actually was the one who, after many years, I asked him and he told me that I died, that I, that I was dead on his lap. Uh, but the magnitude of the accident is, is, is one that, actually I took the, uh, I showed the picture to a, a retired sergeant uh, from the California Highway Patrol. And he, when he saw the image, he said, I don't see, I haven't, in my 30 years, I haven't seen anyone surviving that accident. Uh, how did you survive? And I said, I didn't, I just didn't, period. Uh, so, uh, and the details after the accident, how that how came back and, uh, and all the turmoil, that's another story because it's extremely long and very complex, but, uh, as to the nature of what happened to me, that's what I'm going to talk about right now, which is that as soon as I received the impact, because the soul cannot inhabit uh, a lifeless body, my soul detached from my physical body. So I do not remember at all uh, the impact, the pain, or my death, because I simply wasn't there. Uh, just to give you, uh, and, I, and I say this uh, in a joking way, the impact was so severe that I went over the tunnel, over the light, over uh, lost love friends. I, I, I bypassed everything that people claim of having seen and I end up right in the void. Now, when I say the void, it's not a void out in the cosmos. It's a void inward. And that's when I learned that everything is from within. But I was too young and I couldn't understand. But I knew but couldn't understand. As to the experience, when I found myself in the void, I do remember asking myself three questions. Who I am, who's my father, and who's my mother? Those three questions, now I know that came from trying to find my identity. 
because I realized that even without a body, I was still myself. And when I say, when I say myself, I mean that I never recall at that moment ever being Francisco Valentin. I had no identity. I didn't know anything about me. And, and, and the only way that I can tell you this is because when I came back and I started recalling what happened, that's when I realized that I didn't identify myself as Francisco Valentin. But at the moment, I wasn't Francisco Valentin, period. I never was Francisco Valentin. I was never anything but myself, see? And as myself, I found myself kind of lost. And that's what I asked those three questions. Uh, but at the same time, I felt myself, uh, although a bit confused, I found myself in peace. Like, uh, because I wasn't, I, I wasn't floating, but I wasn't attached to anything. There was no matter around me. Uh, everything was just a thought, a bliss, uh, something. But I, I didn't have a physical body. I didn't have... And this is what I try to explain people. When you die, you don't become an angel or things like that or a soul or spirit or anything like that. You're still going to be yourself. You never cease to exist. And, uh, and that's when suddenly I saw, not with my physical eyes, but my ethereal eyes, which is something very hard to explain because... People, when they go to the other side, people say, no, I saw this, I spoke with, I, you know, I, but none of that is other than just a perception that we use and we come back. And the only way we can explain what cannot be explained is through an analogy, something that we can relate to. And let me explain a little bit further. When I saw a light, approaching me, it wasn't a light, but it was a perception of what could be interpreted as light approaching me. And as soon as it approached me, I realized that they start, and I say they, because I realized that they were entities surrounding my body, which was not a body, but it was my self, my own self without a physical body. They were kind of surrounding me, Going circles actually was counterclockwise, just to make, a, make a, a reference. And at that point, out of curiosity, I wanted to see uh, what, I, what was surrounding me. And, you know, when you want to see something, an object in movement, you move along with it, like going like this, so you can see the image. That's what I did in my mind. Uh, I saw when I got a close look, like uh, not a face, but I knew it was a face. I knew they looked, we, we crossed eyesight, but it was an eyesight. And again, this is very, very hard to explain because what I am relaying is something physical, which is not physical, but it's the only way that you can understand uh, how that perception works. And they gave me so much peace and love to the point that I, right now, at this very moment, I can say that I rather call it peace and not love. 
because the love that we know here is always conditional love. And if I say that that was an unconditional love, uh, it will be it will fall short from its reality. And I would say that it was peace. They were surrounding me and giving me peace for whatever was coming. And Francis, in that moment, you also didn't remember that you had a car accident and that was... No, no, no. So you just that... appear there, like being yourself without knowing actually what happened before. Exactly. As I said, I had no reference point of who I ever was. Francisco Valentin did not exist, did not ever existed while I was there. I was myself. That's it. Now that I came back, now I know that I was myself, that I don't recognize myself as who I am, et cetera, et cetera. But in that moment, I was just myself. I knew that I was alive, very, very much alive. So when they surrounded me and gave me that love that I began to feel deep inside me, I, I felt at ease, I felt loved, I felt in total peace. And soon after, I felt this presence, this uh, uh, immense presence, immense in a good way, uh, that overshadowed everything. It was like if I had a dark cloud uh, casting over me, kind of that feeling. And I felt that it was so powerful that it surpassed everything around it. The next thing I remember was going through a funnel where I started feeling uh, compressing or decompressing my physical body. And I felt this tremendous pain. And as the pain got intense, it was like I was going narrower and narrower and narrower into this funnel. When I took my first breath, opened my eyes, and that's when they were taking me out of the car. Uh, that experience is, uh, is, is one that I still remember as if it would have happened yesterday. And I remember when I was taken out of the car, realizing that I had a car accident, that I was all messed up. Uh, the pain was so terrible. And I actually wanted to come back uh, because of the circumstances where I found myself into. Uh, so yes, that was the experience. And that is what was allowed for me to remember at that time. Uh, later on through the interview, you're gonna find out why, uh, why I'm saying this, but that's about it. From that point on, that's, that's another subject, that's another story that I can uh, go forward, uh, explain it in, in a dip, at, a, at a deeper level. Yeah, and uh, Francisco, tell me, you said that you wanted to come back. I mean, you mean to, to this uh, life? Is that that you really wanted to come here or you thought at the moment like I am with these entities and I rather stay here because I heard that before. Well, to be honest with you, uh, I was so my, I mean, I was so messed up uh, physically speaking. I had uh, broken ribs, 
broken pelvic bone. Uh, as, uh, the, the door, that there was a metal piece in the door that launched into my ribs. It uh, collapsed my lung. It punctured my kidney and it destroyed my spleen. Uh, the only way I could have survived was by being dead because uh, of the magnitude of the internal bleeding uh, within two hours, I would have bled to death. How I made it was because I, I was lifeless. And, uh, and the explanation, that's another story that was given to me much, much later on uh, through my lifetime. But let's say basically that the only reason why I survived was because I was dead for approximately two hours. The accident took place around 4 p.m. That I do remember. And when I was being removed from the car, it must have been close to six o'clock because I remember seeing, looking up the sky and it was already dusk. So it was a summer day in the Caribbean, uh, more or less five to six o'clock, you start seeing you know, the dusk, uh, more or less. So it must have been those two hours. Uh, and then I went, uh, when, when they took me to the hospital, I went to surgery at approximately 9 p.m. How I survive with those internal bleedings is beyond, beyond reasoning. But that's exactly how it happened. And I can give you the, because I, after all this experience, and after everything was revealed to me 32 years later, I started to put in all the pieces together and they match perfectly. But then again, I'll have to give you the whole stories step by step by step by step. Yeah. So yes, if, if did that answer your question? Yeah, but um, it's um, maybe a strange story, but the friend who was having you dead on his lap, um, but, I, but he survived the accident, isn't it? I mean- Oh yes, yes, yeah. because remember, I was T-boned on the driver's side. So he was the passenger. What he received, when I received the impact, the direct impact, what he received was the, the, the impact, but moving to the side as the impact through the car about 10 or 20 uh, feet uh, across the road. So yes, he was all messed up, but, but he, uh, from what I was told, he was able to walk when, yeah. when he came out. Uh, what, he, what he did tell me, uh, because uh, after the 32 years went by and I realized that I had died, I asked him and uh, at a specific uh, class reunion that we had, and he, he actually didn't say a word. He just wanted me to go to the far end of the backyard. He light up a cigarette and uh, he told me, uh, you were dead. You were dead in my lap for about five minutes before I before they rescued me. And I said, but why didn't you tell me? And he said, how could I? If when I asked for you, they told me that you were alive. How could I? So he kept it for himself uh, for fear of being mocked or saying that he was crazy because how can you say that someone was dead when he's alive? So I remember we were very young. We were 17, 18 years old. So we didn't, we didn't, not, we didn't know much. 
and uh, we kept it a secret. Still today, there are many secrets that have not been re uh, relieved to me, but I know the truth. So, yeah. so let's but, leave it like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine it's really very confusing uh, at that age. I mean, I, I can imagine that for him was he didn't know what to do. Yeah. And uh, but actually, you were you were lying there for two hours in the car. Yeah, uh, it was it was. Uh, let me see how I put this. Okay, first, I lay dead. Uh, when they took me, when they took my friend out, they must have left me uh, with a friend because they left me with a friend um, who was uh, staying with me with no car, no mode of transportation back then. We had no cell phone, no nothing, uh, and I can only assume that they left them to claim my body because. I mean, if you're dead, nobody's gonna move a dead body because I don't see any reason why they could have left me bleeding to death. And they took over with my friends. It makes no sense to me. And, uh, but then my friend told me many, many, many years ago. And then again, I was so young that I just took his word, but I didn't put one and one together. I just listened to him, to what he said. But at that time, it didn't make sense to me. Now it does. Uh, he said that after a while, I began to, I started to enter into a catatonic state. I started shaking and moving, uh, like if I had a, a how do you call it? Epilepsy? A, an epilepsy, a, a uh, seizure epilepsy. or, or yeah, something seizure. like that. Seizure. Yes, uh, but I was lifeless. And when I stopped, uh, convulsing, that's when they removed me from the car. Mm. Now, the reason why I ended one, why I started in a kind of to, in a catatonic state was to keep my blood warm. And, and how do I know? Because in the year 2000, when my mom died, she entered into the same stage so she could be alive before coming back and do some, some, uh, legal legal issues before she died. So, so I can see the parallelism be between what happened to my mother and what happened to me, plus another story that I have of a homeless that, uh, that I believe that uh, the spirit spoke through him because he had an experience very similar to mine. And he told me that he was being able to uh, be revived from his death because his body was still warm. So the only, way that a body can stay warm is through a catatonic state. So yes, there, there are many mysteries. There are many mysteries that cannot be uh, physically uh, taken as true, but they happen and they happen for a reason. And uh, if you put two and two together, uh, everything makes sense. But if you try to find an, a physical or logical explanation, for example, my survival, it's impossible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. From from that impact at fifty plus miles an hour, direct hit, the way it happened, I I should have been cut in half. And if I would have survived, I would be in a wheelchair or 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 bedridden. And I wasn't. So so if if you see the image of the car, 
when you go to my website, you're going to see the image of the car. I'm website. going to publish it in the social media. Don't worry, yeah. I'm going to publish it. <laughs> when you see the car, you will know exactly what I meant and why I said it. Because you see the car and you say, no, no. it's impossible. Yeah, exactly. Well, the story about your mom, that's going to be for another uh, time because that's oh, yeah. an also very interesting story. And, and I mean, from the people I've heard that had a NDE uh, near-death experience, uh, it, it is uh, uh, life-changing. It's always very logical. It's always very strange. And people tend to think that you're crazy. That's, a, so that's something else <laughs> because it's, 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 it's just unbelievable. And, and of course, since we are still talking to the person, everybody says, but you were not really dead because otherwise you wouldn't be here. So, so that's the difficult part about NDEs. It is. It is, it is. Uh, okay. Now, Francisco, uh, this was a life-changing event, of course. Um, what happened? I heard you, had, you, you were able to have a normal life after the accident. How did it look like just immediately after the accident? And what what did you do later? What were you doing for a living? And I mean, how did it look like? Yes. Uh, well, after I recovered, which took about three months for me to recover, I, after surgery, I spent three days from what I was told, three days on the high intensive care unit, not knowing if I was going to make it or not. I had uh, an ex an, uh, an extreme amount of blood transfusion uh, because I lost almost all my blood practically. Uh, and having to learn how to walk again. After three months of that long recovery, when I tried to explain what happened to me, I was immediately shut down by my family, my friends, my culture, I mean, I come from a Hispanic culture. I was born and raised Catholic and you do not talk about that. Uh, society, uh, I mean, uh, even science and history uh, was put on question mark after I had that experience. But I was totally shut down and I wasn't believed. And that's when I said, you know what? I'm gonna keep it to myself and take it to the grave. So I thought, hear me now. But at that time, that's what happened. Uh, so what I did was that I started to, to, uh, to look uh, in books because again, we're talking 1979, we didn't have Google, we didn't have internet, we didn't have the, 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 all the facilities we have here to, to look and search. All I had back in the day was uh, public library or a school library and, uh, and a few bookstores. And uh, the subject was, was one that I have no clue about it because all I had learned throughout my lifetime was that there was uh, what the Catholic school teaches. So the experience that I have, it is, it is to some people might be strange, weird, but even though after I was born and raised Catholic, what I saw in the other side was not what I was taught uh, through my Catholic uh, raising. I couldn't describe those uh, souls or those entities as angels because they did not appear as angels. 
I do not, and I, uh, I couldn't uh, identify that powerful, whatever it was as God's, because it wasn't presented as is. And I was able to take from that experience the things as they were, not as they were portrayed. And that created a lot of confusion in me. Was I taught wrong? Was I lied? Uh, did I misunderstand everything? But then I went to the, I'll never forget this. I, I went to the priest and I went to the confessionary because I was asking too many questions. And, you know, I don't remember who told me, you know, just go to the priest, go and find out. So I did. And after the confessionary, uh, he asked me to do, I don't know how many Hail Marys and, 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 and the Lord prayer. And I said, well, what did I do wrong? I didn't do anything wrong. I mean, am I punished by, by, by saying what I said, by doubting, by questioning? So that's what I said, you know what? No, I'm, I'm gonna keep all this to myself. So I started looking for ways to understand what happened to me. I, I needed to find that spark that will ignite in me that, that memory. So I started looking at different books and I started reading one book, no, this is not it. And another one, no, not either. Uh, uh, maybe, but not quite. Yes, no, yes, no. And uh, that's when I learned my first lesson. Don't believe everything that you read. Because what, what I had as an experience was totally different from what I read in books. So I begin my life quest, my my life went through all my life, trying to learn, trying to understand, but everything, everything, everything what kept within myself. I didn't want to talk that subject to anyone. I never argue with anyone. I mean, you have your belief. I know what I had. I know what, what I experienced. And I just spent the rest of my life trying to learn. But other than that, that was internally. In the outside world, I kept living a normal life. I got married. I uh, became uh, a professional uh, in the insurance industry. I raised three children. So, you know, I had a normal life. I just blocked what happened to me. I said, well, that's in the past. Lesson learned and move on. And could you remember this uh, feeling that you were when you were there, that you were actually uh, not Francisco Valentin, that you were you, but you didn't have a past or a future. Could you still remember that? Could yes. You, yeah. yes. There was no past. There was no future. It was just a present, period. Wow. Present. And, and can you imagine, uh, Francisco, that so many people that are spiritual, that they uh, have so many questions about spirit and what spiritual means and eh? maybe they also have this conflict with what have they they have learned that uh, the church or the community and that what they are presented to maybe their dreams maybe experiences um i can imagine that did you have really like kind of anxiety of stress because of this duality like 
that part and that part that you you were at ease you felt like okay i'm in peace with that yes i actually was in peace i knew exactly what happened i knew where i was i knew what i was in in other words i never questioned the reality that i lived while on the other side i had no doubt about it Uh, many days and many nights, I just laid in bed looking at the ceiling and pondering about it, uh, uh, re reenacting the event, uh, pondering about it, and uh, I never missed a bit. I knew what had happened. I knew where I was. I knew the existence. And actually, that experience taught me the, the fact that there is life after death, that we don't die. We just, we, just, we just transfer from one stage to another. And, uh, and yeah, I can, throughout, throughout this interview, I can, I can keep going, but, but let's keep it at this level for now before yeah. I jump to the next level. To the next uh, one. Because now we are going into uh, the next story. I mean, you have... Uh, many years of a quite normal life, uh, raising children, having a normal uh, family. And then one day, and uh, something very strange happened to you and it changed everything at once. Can you explain us what happened that night? Yeah, the day was July 7 of 2011. Um, it was perfectly orchestrated, okay? Now, Keep in mind that I am very analytical, stubborn, uh, fact-finded individual, that I do not believe everything that I read or learn. Uh, I use logic, common sense. Uh, so it is hard for me to, to, to jump into believing in something that is not real. So keep that in mind, okay? Uh, but I learn now, and when I say that I learn is now, after so many years, that it was perfectly orchestrated. Back then, I had no clue of what was going on. I was clueless. I was surprised. But now I know. Now I know that it was perfectly orchestrated. The day was July 7, 2011. My wife was traveling uh, out of town from work. My youngest daughter was uh, studying abroad in, in one of those people-to-people uh, -people programs. My 20 years son at the time was studying at the Berkeley College of Music and he was, because it was summer break, he was on vacation spending time with us. And I was having solitude time with him. Him and me alone in the house, perfectly orchestrated. So we were having solitude time and we were having a, a father and son conversation which we, we cook our favorite meal uh, in, the, in those days. And when we were ready to call it the night, he told me that, let, let me show you a, a music that I have uh, heard, which is, um, I, I think it's called binary beats music. One of those- Binaural, yeah, binaural beats, yeah. Yeah, one of those uh, that I had no clue. Me what music to meditate, isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's what I learned later on. So he wanted me to listen to that. And I was very tired. 
uh, after a long day, and I wanted really, really to rest, but something, something made me say, okay, but let me just go to the restroom and I'll, I'll come back. So I go to the restroom. I was barefooted in the house. So he couldn't be listening to my steps above all. Uh, and when I got closer to his bedroom door, I realized that he had his laptop on with the music in front of him quite loud. So he couldn't hear my footsteps. And he was moving his head rhythmically back and forth like that with his eyes closed. But I didn't know that he has his eyes closed. I just look at him uh, through the door, uh, at the door frame when he said, look that, uh, I can see orbs all over the place, all around us. And that's when I just realized how could you know that I was already there with the music so loud, you're not even looking at me. And that's when I approached him. And when I approached him and I saw that he had his eyes closed, I think I thought that he was making a prank. And he said, uh, but we are one. And I said, what do you mean we are one? And that's when his voice changed the tone. He lowered the tone and in a very unemotional way, he said, because we're one. So I thought that he was making a prank. So I said, okay, you know, I'm gonna get him. So, okay, so how did it all begin? So he started answering, answering the question, but he wasn't answering my question. So I kept insisting in another way, in another way, in another way, but still getting the same answer. And that's when I realized that, wait a minute, I am not talking to my son. I am talking to somebody else and I had no clue what this was all about because my son was actually in a trance and I was listening to his voice, but in fact, it was a spirit of light that was manifesting through his voice. How do I know? Because of the way he answers those questions. He never, he never flicked, he never, he never, uh, not even a hiccup. Every question that I was asking was getting, I was getting a straight answer. And he was answering every question that I had always asked myself and I couldn't find a straight answer from humanity. And he got to the point where I was, uh, I was starting to feel very unease because as the time progressed and I kept asking questions and I was getting those answers, I realized that I begin to ask more questions and as my and before finishing my question, I was already getting an answer in my head. And that bugged me so much that I got to the point that I said, so what am I doing here? Because now we're talking about frustration. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not talking to my son. <laughs> I'm talking to somebody else. I have no clue who am I talking to. I know it must have been something from the other side. And, but what is this? 
That is when my son stood up because he was sitting down. He stood up. He turned to me. He opened his eyes and he said very energetically, don't you remember that you and I agreed for you to come down to help me do my job? Close his eyes, turn around, sat down and begin to move his head rhythmically. And I just melted. I couldn't believe it. I almost fainted. To then we have more conversations uh, at another level, but that's about it. Later on, I asked my son, do you remember what happened? And he said, yes. He actually later said that he remembers because everything that he said, he just said it as if he always knew. That was his answer. As if he always knew. Keep that in mind for later on. Mm -hmm. When I asked him, do you remember when you stood up and you said, no, I don't remember that part. So imagine the amount of energy that entity had to use to take aside my son out of the picture, get a hold of his full body, stand up, open his eyes, and tell me exactly what he told me to let her sit down. And my son do not remember that. Is beyond reach. Yeah. In fact, knowing my son, his character, his personality, his humbleness, his truthfulness, go beyond reasoning on doubting that the experience was real. My son had no knowledge of what a transmedium would have been, and he became a transmedium uh, out of nowhere. And I never had that experience, and I never talked about uh, my past. What The way he talked, the way he expressed himself wasn't from his knowledge, wasn't from his core belief. He wasn't, it was beyond him. But he remembers as he would have always known. Keep that in mind. Wow. So all the questions he was answering is just like he already knew the answers. He already yeah. knew the answers. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And he, after he stood up and reminded you about this deal you had, well, not your son, but the entity, then the trance ended in your son? I mean, he, did, did you started to talk again like father and son or? Uh... No, actually, actually uh, after he said that, uh, I asked him, uh, do I need to go through all this trouble uh, uh, to help you out? or something like that. I don't remember at this point exactly. And, uh, and the, the spirit replied, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, actually, uh, how it then was, uh, uh, we, uh, we're one. And as you help me, you advance. And that was practically the end because after that, it just kind of, 
faded away. And uh, because remember, my son was in a trance. And then when he got out of the trance, uh, then we start having regular conversation. But basically, that's 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 how it ends. Um, other than that, uh, well, actually, actually, as a good reminder uh, for your audience, uh, you can go to the, my website, thetranscript.org, and if you if you click at the at the, one of the icons when you see a little parchment uh, to get to the transcript. Uh, you open a transcript, any given transcript, and you're gonna see two, two uh, links to another page uh, that gives you the first transcript. It's called the first transcript. If you open the first trans transcript, you will read from start to finish uh, the whole thing. Yep. Uh, because after that event, uh, I began to wake up in the middle of the night. But first, I wake up the following day with this urge to write, uh, not knowing what, because I'm not a writer. I don't like reading that much. I less like to write. But something compelled me to, to write in the computer. So I opened the computer and I start typing to realize that I was transcribing verbatim, word by word, what took place that night before. Let's call it automatic writing because I do not have that ability. I don't have that much memory and less with the details as they were written. So yes, the first transcript is in my webpage. You can read it, but let me do a disclaimer. When you read that first transcript, you have to realize that the spirit of life was speaking to me based on the knowledge that I had at the time. In other words, the answer that he gave me, he gave them to me in a way that I could understand at that time, at a very elementary level, very rudimentary. So I could understand his answers. Now I can go way, way deeper and the information is much, much complex because I'm already ready to absorb and understand them. But at that time, it has to deal with who I was at the moment, my core beliefs at the moment in a way that I could understand. So when you read the transcript, you're gonna, you're gonna read the answer in a very simplified form. Uh, in a way that a lot of people could understand. But also, if you are very deep into spirituality, you can see, you can see on the, uh, beyond the veil what, how deep those answers were and how truthful they were. So when you read it, take that into consideration because when you go into reading the transcript, that's another whole ballgame. Yeah, yeah. Well, I also have to explain our audience. Well, I read your first transcript, of course, because after I heard about the story and I saw, mm -hmm. you know, even in in the, in my imagination, your son telling you what he was telling you, and I felt like, wow, I really would like to see what what the the, the entity told you. So I I uh, that is the first one, and I think that's the place where everybody wants uh, to start. Right. Yeah to start and go in a progression because there's also a logical progression in all the transcripts. 
Um, but before we go into the transcripts, because now we're going to talk about them, I, I still want to know, okay, the next day you started this, um, this automatic writing, that was a need you had, but let's say you, your wife comes home and then, and, and then you are again in this normal life. How do they react? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Well, actually, no one asked me that question. Uh, you're the first one. So here's the answer. Uh, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. Uh, because, well, lucky me, I will say lucky me. But at the same time, it, it, it was everything, like I said, it was perfectly orchestrated. Because of the type of person that I am, if the spirit would have manifested through Anybody else, I would have discarded it. I would have taken us, no, this is a crazy person. You know, I'm not gonna believe that. Even if it would have come from my wife, because my wife knew a lot of my background, I would say, no, somebody's messing up with her. But because it was from my son, that I never talked about that subject with him. And because, you know, there, there were kids, you're not gonna mess around with their head. <laughs> with all those subjects, you know, so so I just kept it for myself. But coming from my son, that's mm, that's I mean, there's no doubt of what happened. But yes, when my wife came came back home, actually, me and my son, we were struggling. How how are we gonna tell your mother about all this? How, what are we gonna do? So. So yeah, we asked her to sit down at, at, the, at, the, at the dining table and listen to our story. And I know that my wife did not believe me at first. Uh, she must have thought that uh, we were going crazy or we were pranking her. I, I mean, she went into a total confusion. Uh, she didn't want to talk about it. Uh, by the way, she responded and she looked, she was extremely reluctant to believe what was going on. But then again, because it was coming from her son, she couldn't doubt it. I mean, we're talking about her son, her beloved son going through this stage and, and me explaining what I was explaining was beyond beyond understanding. However, what helped me was that she knew uh, about my death experience in 1979. So she knew all about it. But if she was able to put one and one, and one together, I don't know if she was having a hard time trying to put them together or not. It was, it was a, a struggle. It was a struggle. Uh, I knew she didn't believe me at first, but the thing is that the the days after I transcribed verbatim that first transcript, I began to wake up in the middle of the night between one and three a.m. to download information uh, about uh, our true nature and the origin of life in ways that I could never thought that could be explained or exposed in any way. But I understood them perfectly. Uh, and I don't wanna be 
I don't want to say the same thing that my son said, like to mimic him, but I understood them as if I always knew. It was like a memory recall, which is the point that I wanted to bring on. None of this is new. Everything had been told from the very beginning. It's just human interpretation of what took it out of context. But, but it is recalling from your memory the truth of our existence. And the message was coming forward without theological ties this time around. So when I began to, to download all that information, in the middle of the night, I mean, waking up, trying to write in the middle of the night with no lights. I mean, your body is all messed up and trying to, it was almost impossible. So what I did is that I started recording in my cell phone. So when I started to get in this urges to wake up and, and download information, I just got out of bed. I went to the living room or to my office and I just put the computer, uh, the, uh, the recording on my cell phone, I put it in my chest and I began to download information. Because so, you were listening to voices or you are just understanding concepts? Can you explain that? I was understanding concepts that they were being downloaded to me or let's say opening the doors for me to capture that information that was being accessed, that I was being accessed. But it was done in a fashion that, if, for example, it wasn't an open book. It was, let's, let's, let's talk about this, then about this, then about this, because every time that I downloaded, it was one thing, then another, and another, and another, but everything related to one another. That's why I make, uh, uh, and, uh, that, that's when I have this section and, and my webpage that said how to read the transcript. The transcript should be read from, beginning, from the beginning to end because they follow a sequence. So that's what I was doing. I was following a sequence. And as I began to recording that, uh, I had it recorded, but I had it already in my mind. So I already knew those concepts. And I already was putting everything together in my head. And as my wife realized that I was waking between one and three, and I was downloading that information, she had no choice but to believe that it was true. Because I'd never done that before. Waking up in the middle of the night to write down or record information that it was beyond, I mean, it was beyond the, the normal understanding of how things are. Uh, she had no choice. Was she, was she reading it? Was she reading the transcripts as well? Well, no, actually, I was explaining to her what, what happened, because remember, it was recorded. After the recording, then I had to transcribe, but they became too many and too many, one after the other that I kept building and building and building. And because I already had it in my mind, the transcription process 
was secondary to me. Primarily to me was get that information and uh, document it. So later, if I had to, then I will transcribe it. But it wasn't like uh, now get this and now transcribe and now go and go and speak. No, at first it was just downloading. It was knowledge that I was receiving to myself, that I was getting all that information, putting all the pieces together, and and realizing that yes, this is this is information beyond from another source. Uh, so yes, uh, if you want, I can keep going, or you want to keep <laughs> asking questions because now now is where everything starts unfolding. Yeah, so this is only the beginning. Um, well, let me uh, just ask you about, um, well, this is a transforming moment also for your family as well. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, a, a good thing is that my youngest daughter, when she came back, uh, she happened to be a very old soul and she was very, very in tune with, uh, with the other side, more or less. And although she was young at that time, she was about uh, 14, 15, I believe. Uh, not even that. Uh, but she understood. She understood what happened to me and she acknowledged it. And uh, I mean, she, she's very, very, she's a very good, very well advanced child. Uh, so when I started explaining to her what happened to me, she understood perfectly. Perfectly, to my surprise, to my surprise. But to the rest of the world, uh, no, uh, nobody else know what happened to me. I mean, I, I had to live a double life. I really did. And I'm still living a double life. Many of my friends don't know what I do. Uh, I have lost many other friends because uh, the, what do you call it? interest change. When, when you become more spiritual uh, and a lot of things change in my life. So yes, I, I do live a double life. Well, and before we go into the transcripts that we are going to do, and I think uh, the audience really wants to know about them. Um, I, I really wonder um, if you felt like um, you were having an, enrichment of your life or you were just losing something very you know you can understand because you, because you you are in the middle of this and then part of you has to be you know it, like you say it's, it's the second part of life or, or you have to live a double life but on the same time at the same time you are earning so much wisdom so much a huge amount of knowledge so mm -hmm. What's the feeling? What's is it really positive? Is it negative? Is it or is it just like confusion all the time? Yeah, both. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let, let me go back. Remember when at the beginning I said that everything was perfectly orchestrated? Yeah. Okay, let's go back now. I was uh that was back in 2014, 2015, I think it was. When I had, we lived in Puerto Rico, I was, by that time, because I was, uh, because I was so many years in the, 
in the insurance industry, I already had built an insurance agency. I was, it was very profitable. I was, I mean, between me and my wife, we were making good money. And we have a perfect life, a good house, you know, everything was peaches and creams. I mean, everything was good. When suddenly in, in a, in a, on a vacation day, we went to Florida to Disney. I mean, everybody wants to go to Disney in the summertime, whatever. So we went there. When suddenly I saw an insurance company banner and I something clicked in me. It was like, uh, I still cannot describe how it was because it just clicked on me. I was in short and a teacher and I told my wife, we're moving. We're moving to Florida. She said, what? So I said, yeah, let, let, let me look for a job in this insurance company and uh, we're moving. So I was so bold that I, that I went in shorts and t-shirt to this insurance company asking, asking if, if they wanted uh, to have an, an, another insurance agent in, in, in their portfolio. So the lady explained me, that's not the way we work. So, you know, you gotta go to this office and blah, 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 and go through all the stages and whatever and said, okay, perfect, I'll do it. So when we came back to Puerto Rico, I told my wife, well, I'll have to sell my business portfolio, but you need to ask for a transfer because we're not moving just like that. So we need, we need a, a steady income while I build my agency again. So what happened? The very first week that I went to this insurance company and I said, I'm selling my portfolio, three, uh, three cubicles uh, in front of me, this guy stood up and said, I'll buy it. Uh, Gabriela, chances for me to sell or anyone to sell an insurance portfolio that fast is one in a billion in a billion and most people wait for you to get desperate to to buy it cents for the dollar so unbelievable i sold it the very first day and then i went to my wife and i told her listen what happened to me and she said guess what happened to me there's an opening in tampa florida and i said wow but again I was clueless of what was going on. It was being orchestrated, but I had no clue. To me was, whoa, what are the chances? Oh, how lucky we are. So, so we moved. I sold my portfolio at a very good price. My wife got a transfer. And when I started working with this insurance company, I was rejected. And I said, how could it be? Then I went to try to build an insurance agency on an independent basis. And uh, all the doors were getting closed to the point that I said, well, I, I, I think I made a terrible mistake here. I messed up so bad. And I was getting desperate because I couldn't find uh, my career in Florida. But my wife got the transfer. So financially speaking, we were okay. But it was unbelievably, how was it that I couldn't get to sell insurance? 
anymore. I mean, it is impossible. I mean, I already had 30 years of experience in the business and you're telling me that I do not have the ability to close businesses and, 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 and build a career. I was extremely frustrated until July 7, 2011. And that's when I realized that everything was perfectly orchestrated for me to reach this point. So, so how was it with my life? I understood that everything was okay with my life until this happened. And when this happened, that's when I started to, to put in all, all, all the dots together and realize that I was taking from this life that I had into this new life that I was about to experience. So it took a lot of my energy. It, it took a lot of me uh, trying to understand what happened to me and how life was unfolded before me. And having to live this new life, it wasn't easy. And it is not easy either. Because once you become spiritual, now you're fighting like uh, the fight with Goliath because now everything around you becomes a uh, facade. And the new life that you now understand that, that does exist is irrelevant to everybody else. So you have to change your ways. You have to wait to change the way you think. Now you have to put up with so much of what you did in the past that you see everybody else doing. And now you got to bite your tongue because you did it also. And now you understand that it was wrong all along. It is very troublesome. It gets you in trouble. And you have to have the wisdom to to know what to say, what not to say, how to react, how you know what to keep to yourself, and having to start living in this bliss of new understanding, yet in a world that does not understand you. And now you become minority, now you become segregated, now you become, but you cannot let yourself go down because then you're going to go down in a, into the spiral that you shouldn't go. And that's, that's what happened to most people when they got this awakening. They, they started thinking, wait, wait a minute, was I wrong all along and now I was right and everybody else is wrong? But nobody's is recognizing that they are wrong. They believe that they are right, but they are wrong. But then who are you to say who, who's right and who's wrong? I mean, it, it, it is a paradox. It is so confusing, and, and, and that's and basically that's what I'm here to try to help people understand things in a different ways, but in a way that we don't uh, get involved into theology, religion, or science, or anything like that, because then all hell's gonna break loose. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't want that. We have enough, we have enough of that. Exactly. That's enough. That's so, enough. so I learned to quietly grow, uh, do my very best, uh, become an example, which is not easy, not easy. But the bliss that you get 
it's, it's like, for example, I will never forget one lecture that I gave in my very early stages lecturing. Or by the way, when I lecture, most of the time is through channeling, but not a channeling like closing my eyes or going into a trance. I just know that I'm speaking uh, words that are being given to me or intense, more or less, it's more intense that I'm getting. And I'll never forget when I said, without being having uh, practice or even, even thought of this, I said, whoever thinks that the spiritual ways is an easy way, an easy road is wrong. Why? Because you need to dissolve your old self to become a new self. And when you do, then spirituality becomes a bliss. Nevertheless, still gonna be a rocky road. Yeah. And those words do not come from me, that's for sure. But it got embedded in my mind in such a way that I can repeat it over and over and over again. Wow. Now, Francisco, well, this is just the way we have to close this interview because we're going to the second part of the interview. Because this is exactly, you know, a spiritual person who has just uh, stumbled upon the burnout society <laughs> made out of constructs and things that have been built by men. So it's very interesting. And we're going to go further with it in our sec in our in the next part of our interview. So I invite everyone to click on the next episode. Just grab something to drink or keep it for the next week. Uh, thank you Francisco for right now and we will go um, we'll go on. Stick around because yeah, there's a lot uh, there's a lot more that I have to speak about.